Uh, if you're visiting with us for the very first time here at CityGate, we want to thank you for choosing to worship with us. Here's what we believe about you being here today. We believe it's not an accident. We believe it's an appointment. And so we, we really honor the fact and we're humbled by the fact that you would choose to be here today. And so, um, but at the same time, I want you to know uh, our senior pastor, Pastor David Pleasant, is away on vacation, a much needed vacation. I'm going to ask this as a request that you pray for him, that he would be refreshed, re-energized. Uh, we've just come out of about a seven or eight week series entitled, You Asked For It. And in the last three weeks, Pastor David has preached about forgiveness. Now, how many of you have been through been any of those messages? You've heard at least one of those three messages. Okay, wonderful. Uh, so the first message of forgiveness was about what forgiveness is. And it's the command of God that if we will forgive, God will forgive us. The second week of the week of forgiveness, Pastor talked about what forgiveness is not. Because many times we hear such things out in the world that in order to forgive, we have to forget. And that is not biblical. God never asks us to forget. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. And here's what I believe about it. I believe that those scars that we have in our life, remember Pastor David shared about the scar that's on his chin? He'd always remember how he got that. I believe that God will actually use those scars to remind us not only of where we've been, but what he has brought us from and through. Can someone say amen? amen. So last week, Pastor David spoke a powerful message about sometimes the most difficult person for us to forgive is ourselves, especially when we have been the offender or the abuser. And Shelly and I, uh, my wife, we shared our testimony. If you did not hear that, I encourage you to go here. Um, because if you heard our testimony last week, you would know, and I, I, bear with me for a moment on this. I'm going to set Jesus aside for just a minute, but I promise that I'm going to pick him right back up, okay? Outside of Jesus, I am the least worthy of anyone to be able to preach the gospel today. Outside of Jesus. If you know our testimony, I don't deserve to be up here. But isn't that what grace is? We get what we don't deserve. And what does his mercy say? We don't get what we do deserve, right? Isn't that right? But isn't that the gospel? Well, I wanna thank you for the love and support that Shelly and I have experienced this past week. After sharing our testimony, It's been amazing because I'm going to pick Jesus back up for just for the rest of my life. How about that? So here's what happens because of Jesus, because of what he's done in my life. He, hey, he bore the stripes for my healing. He died a brutal death on a cross. And in doing so, he shed his blood to cover my sins, to save me from the enslavement of sin. And then he resurrected from the dead. We have the power of the resurrection so that I have authority to stand here before you today and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of my life. Can someone say amen? So as we kick off this new series today, this new series is entitled Harvest. 
I'm going to preach a sermon or a message today that is entitled Parable of the Sower, but a lot of people like to call it Parable of the Soils, and I even kind of like the Parable of the Souls, because that's literally what it's talking about. It's talking about our souls, our hearts, uh, not our physical heart, but our spiritual soul, our heart. And so um, I am tasked with building a foundation of what every good soil or what every good harvest needs today, and that is good soil. Um, so we're going to look at Scripture, uh, Matthew thir uh, 13, if you will turn to your Bibles real quickly. If you have your Bibles, if not, I think Nathan's going to have it up on the screen for us this morning. And we're going to start with verse 1. Now, it's 1 through 23 in the text. I do not have time to go over the middle of the text. I'm going to give you a synopsis of it, but please do me and you a favor. I encourage you to go home today and read this whole text in context, please. I encourage you to do that. I'm going to pick up and start in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil but when the sun rose they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and he choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who hear, has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when, you talk, when he talks right there that there was a, um, a, a produced grain, that when they fell, the seed fell on soil, he's talking about harvest. And this harvest is speaking about souls. All right? Now, he goes through verse 10 through 17... Jesus does, and he explains the reason of the parable, but in this he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he tells the people about how some people's heart are hardened, some eyes have been scaled over, and some ears are dull of hearing. And so Jesus shares with them about this and gets into a little more depth about the reasons why and sharing the prophet Isaiah, but then he gives the meaning of the parable starting in verse 18, and he says this, Hear then the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Can someone say amen to the reading of God's word? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the precious, the matchless, most powerful name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would anoint every single one of us today, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, to receive all that you have for us. I pray that you would plow 
up the soil of our heart, that as your word is sown today, that it would be sown into good soil. And I ask you, Lord, that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit, that I would decrease so that you might increase. And we give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, so let's just jump right into this thing. I want to give you a little bit of a background uh, before I do. Oh, man, she took... Okay, I want to make sure that I bring Noli Bug up. My grandson is here today, and I don't get to show him off very much because my son pastors at another church, and he happened, my oldest son, our oldest son, and so I was going to uh, show him off. So I'll try, to, I'll try to show you him a little bit later in the message. So we're going to jump into this thing two feet today really quick. I'm going to give you the backdrop. So basically what Scripture tells us is that Jesus was meeting in someone's home. Many commentators and, and theologians believe that as Jesus exits his home, it says that he goes to the sea. The, the water side that is being descriptive here is the Sea of Galilee. And so as Jesus goes to the sea, some people believe that he was actually trying to go and get away for a time of prayer and meditation to really just, once again, really just to get close to the Father and hear the voice of the Father. Uh, but here's what happened. Bible tells us that he was surrounded by a crowd of people. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment with me this morning, about just our area, southwest Florida. If we got word that, uh, because as, at this time in Jesus' uh, structure and junction of his, of his ministry, he had already performed miracles, he had already um, uh, been teaching and these people, people were raised from the dead. The, one person's hand was, didn't even have a hand, and a hand is now on this person's hand because of Jesus uh, praying for them. And that miracle, you have all these different, water was turned to wine. So you have these dozens of miracles that have taken place. Now, if somebody in Fort Myers was raising people from the dead, if somebody in Fort Myers had, had prayed and their hand had been, had been put back to where it was supposed to be and how it was supposed to be, and, and maybe they raised your daughter from the dead, maybe they healed your son, or maybe they cast demons out of your friend, wouldn't you want to be around them all the time, or at least go and hear and see them? Wouldn't you want that? Well, I mean, so you have to understand the people. Man, they were just, they wanted to hear him again, they wanted to see him again, they wanted to experience maybe more signs and wonders. You can't blame them for constantly falling, because at this time of his ministry, people were following him everywhere. There was hardly a private place for him to get to. So he gets to the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and here he is, and he does something new in his teaching. Not that he didn't tell stories before, but now he starts to teach in parables. So it's important for us to understand what a parable is. What is a parable? You don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand the word. Now, my wife and I had a little bit of disagreement on how to pronounce the English word P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E. That's the word for the English in the English dictionary for what Jesus used as a parable in the New Testament. And it, I pronounced it parabole, but she corrected me. Uh, and so what I did, what any good husband would do, I went to that Google thing where you can listen to what people say, right? And I did, and I listened. Here's the crazy thing. Eight different ways to pronounce the word. I'm like, and so neither one of us were wrong. Praise God. Oh, man. I'm just so thankful that we were both right in one, in one instance, all right? 
Now, husbands, I'm not, I wasn't going there, you guys. Listen, I wasn't going there to try to prove my wife wrong. I pro, I, that was a, I was, I was going there because I wanted to be make sure that when I pronounced that to you today that I was pronouncing it right. So I could have said it in a bunch of different ways, but needless to say. Um, so what is a parable or a parabole or a, par, a parable, as some of them would say? It, it's literally laying something besides something else. So it's like a parallel element. You lay them, and then you begin to uh, uh, compare them. So what does Jesus do here? What Jesus does is he takes a story right next side of it. He gives a spiritual truth so that you can compare them and better understand them. All right, everybody got that? So here's what we're tasked with today as a congregation. We are tasked with this, to seek the Lord on what kind of soil that our heart is today, currently. I want to make a confession to you. At some point in my life, I have been every single one of these soils that I'm going to talk to you about. Every single one. There's no, I, 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 there's no getting around it. I can't, I can't act like it. Didn't happen, but I have been one of these four soils. So the very first soil that we're going to get into today is wayside. I want you to look at your neighbor. You're going to have to do this a few times today. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, wayside. So interestingly enough, about the soil wayside, it wasn't a part of the prepared soil. It was, there's four different soils, and all the other three were part of the prepared soil, but this was not. So what does Jesus say to them about this? Now, we have to understand the context of this. Uh, this was a, he was by the Sea of Galilee, so thus he was in a fishing community, but it was also an agricultural community, right? And so he says this, he says, um, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. So he used agriculture and farming because it was what they were used to. Now, Nate, do you have that slide for me? So uh, this, Shelley and I have been to Israel, and this very much looks like the terrain. I don't know how they farm there. I mean, literally, it's mountainous, it's hills, it's rocks everywhere. Uh, we've got a couple of professional farmers uh, here in our congregation today, uh, and, 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 I, and I, I know these guys, they are really good at what they do. And one of the things about Florida in farming is that you can look mile, like literally a mile or two out flatland and you see. It doesn't matter if it's watermelons, if it's uh, cucumbers, tomatoes, peppers, it doesn't matter. You can see. That's not the way it is here. You can see the different levels and, 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 and tiers that are here. So what in Israel, basically what it is that uh, they're divided into, the fields are divided into these long strips for cultivation. And in these strips is about a three-foot narrow piece of pathway that people walk on. Now, the people walk on them to get from place to place, but the farmers walk on this path in order to get from field to field, and in some cases, as you can see right here, they go, from, they go from row to row. So Jesus gives the explanation, or he gives the meaning of the parable in verse 19, and this is, and this is what he says. Uh, when everyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Now, Let's just make sure that we're all on the same page here and we all know what Jesus is talking about when he says evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan. 
Satan. Very good. All right. Now, let's, I'm going to talk. I want you to know, please don't hold the, to, to just this. I'm going to give you three ways, practically speaking, that the enemy can come in and snatch away the seed. Let me give you three ways. There's more than that, but I'm going to give you three. Three that the Lord laid on my heart to share with you today. First one's pride. Basically, what pride says is that, you know what, I'm pretty good. Like, I, I'm in control of my life. I don't know that I really need God. And so, um, and so I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a good place. I don't really think I need God. Pride. Second one's fear. Fear says, I don't really know. In fact, I'm probably afraid of what I might have to give up if I follow God. Now, I've been there before. I've been there before. And then the third one is doubt. And these are the people where the enemy comes in and says, I don't believe in God. In fact, some of them might say, I believe that there is a God, but this is the doubt. I doubt he is good. That's the doubt. So um, as, as Jesus explains this in, in Matthew's uh, context, uh, this gospel is also shared, this very same parable is shared in Mark 4 and then Luke 8. Now Luke 8 gives us something that's a little different than the other two. And in fact, he says that the seed is trampled on. I want you to look at your neighbor and say trampled on. Now this, it's important for us to know this here. Because this is what, this is what, ha what, what does that signify in us? What does that tell us about trampled on? Well, that tells us that it's, it's on that side three foot path that's getting trampled on. People are literally stepping on the seed and they're crushing the seed. They're crushing it. And, and I just felt like the Lord told me that, um, that what that represents in our lives is the people who we've allowed access to our hearts that come in and they step on the word, now, hear this, they don't respect God, nor do they respect the word of God. They just don't. We have to be careful and cautious of how much access we give those people into our life. Can someone say amen? amen. All right, so, um, so here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move quickly into um, the rocky and stony soil, soil number two. And I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to ask them, are you rocky? All right, so, so I need your help here this morning. So I grew up a huge Rocky fan, Rocky movies. I loved Rocky movies, right? I, anybody in here like Rocky movies? Oh, man, we got a bunch of people that love Rocky movies. So, uh, in fact, this is how uh, infatuated I was with Rocky. I really wanted to name one of my kids Rocky. But I'm sure Brit's over here thinking, I'm so glad. But Shelly was like, I have no part of my kid naming Rocky. I, I have a hilarious story I wish I had time to tell you about uh, 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 my, one of my coaching days. But I don't have time to get into it. But if you want to know it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you later about a kid named Rocky. Because uh, I always thought, man, Rocky, man, if that kid's named Rocky, man, he's tough and he's a stud. He's a beast, right? I mean, I'm a, I want that kid on my team. Not so much in that story. So, so. <laughs> So, um, so we're going to jump into the text and what the scripture says. And what does Jesus say about the stony or rocky ground? And he says this, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. away. So uh, what happens is 
in Israel, uh, if you'll put that uh, slide back up, Nate, it shows the, the, the okay. In Israel, you see those, um, some of those rocks that are right there. Um, what happens is sometimes in Israel, there is a rock shelf that's about two to three inches below the soil. Okay? And, and so the, the farmer will plow up, and he will plow up a, a, most of the rocks that are in there. And in doing so, he, he picks those rocks up, and he throws them in a pile, and he discards them. What any good farmer would do. I mean, it's just what any good farmer would do. But this shelf is not visible. You can't see this shelf. And so when the seed, what happens is, is that the seed goes out, and because the soil is only so thick, it warms quickly. And it gets the dew from the night air, and it allows the seed to germinate so fast that it sprouts up. And once again, any good farmer knows that that's probably not a good sign. It's probably not a good sign. Why? Because the soil is shallow and it cannot sustain growth. So what does Jesus give us as the meaning in verses 20 and 21? He says this, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I want you to look at your neighbor again and said, receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Um, I've read this passage. If I've read it 100 times, I've read it 500 times. I've remembered this on account of the word before, but I really feel like the Lord kind of gave me some more clarity in, in studying while I was studying for this, to speak this. So, um, we, we know that we all will have trials and tribulations and storms in our life, right? Right? In fact, if you'll think with me for a moment, all four soils, they're going to experience storms, all four of them. And, and, but what this is saying is that in this soil right here, that when th these people, this group of people in this soil, when it hears the word, when we, that seed is sown, is that when they hear that, that their hearts and their minds immediately go to a place of running away from God instead of to Him. You say, oh, pastor, are you telling me that I'm going to have trials and tribulations in my life because of the Word of God? Yep. That's what I'm saying. But here's the deal. We're not storm-free no matter what. So wouldn't you rather have Jesus on your side in the storm? Someone say amen. So uh, we're not guaranteed that storm-free life. Uh, and so what I love, I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. So this is Paul teaching to the church in Corinth. So this is a group of believers, and this is what he says. Um, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now that can sound a little... Treasure, jars of clay, exactly what does that mean, Pastor? I don't know what that means. So the treasure is the pearl of great price, which is Jesus Christ. The jars of clay are you and me. Um, Jeremiah the prophet talks about it over in Jeremiah 18. David, King Saul, talks about it in Psalm 63.3. And, and they both are talking about how uh, that God is the potter, that we are the clay, and he is forming us. Like he is continually and consistently shaping and molding and forming our heart so that our lives will look more like him. 
and we reflect him and his glory in the earth. Amen? Okay, so that is what, what, is, what they're talking about here when Paul says, when he says this, that we have this treasure of Jesus Christ in jars of clay. We are the body and the temple of God. And he says, to show that the surpassing power, hear this, belongs to God and not us. I told you earlier, I'm only up here because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I, I am not worthy to be up here. I am not, outside of Jesus Christ, I am not worthy to be up here. But because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, I am found righteous in him. I am found righteous in him. So what does Paul say beyond that? Um, he says uh, in verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed. Basically, it says we don't understand. And give an Lord, I don't understand why I am here. I don't understand why I'm in the storm. I, I'm, God, I just don't get it. Uh, but it says we're not driven to despair, basically meaning I'm not giving up on you, Lord. I'm not giving up. Next one, persecuted but not forsaken. I know, that there have been, I know that there have been people persecuted in our country for their faith. And some of them we even see in the school shootings when people have, kids have lost their lives just because they believe in Jesus. But there's a whole lot more persecution that we aren't really accustomed to that happens over in other countries. That literally people today, on this day, will lose their life. They are a martyr for Jesus Christ because they refuse to renounce Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Next one, he says, struck down but not destroyed. Basically means that you have not been destroyed. Now, here's the thing about this. Um, it's okay to be shook in our trials. It's okay. But um, our hope is not in our ability to find a way out. Now, here's the natural instinct from all of us. Our natural instinct is to find a way out. We want a way out of escape when we're in a storm. How many of you can raise your hand and attest to that? If I have a storm in my life, I want the quickest and easiest way out of that storm and out of that trial, right? Is that right? Okay, I want to share a story and, and, and tie this in with, with uh, what Paul says in Acts uh, 16. Uh, actually, it's Luke writing about Paul and Silas. Some of you will know and remember the story. Paul and Silas, uh, they're out doing the work of the Lord. There's people uh, getting saved. This, and there's this one girl um, that was a fortune teller that was following them all around, right? And she was saying, um, these are men of the Most High God. Talking about Paul and Silas. These are men of the Most High God. Come hear their word of salvation. Jesus is the Messiah. Paraphrasing. And, and so she was speaking truth, but she was a huge distraction, disrupting everything. And Paul finally just had enough of it, and he cast the demon out of her. He cast the evil spirit. That's what Scripture says. Cast the evil spirit out of her. They were beaten and thrown in prison for doing that. And in fact, it says that they were thrown into the inner cells, which is, listen, it ain't nothing like our prisons. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying, in inner, inner prisons back then, they were about three feet high. They didn't have bathrooms, if you get my drift. And that's what these guys had to, that's what these prisoners had to live and stay in. So Paul and Silas are living, are, are staying in there, and, and it says, and at the midnight hour. Can someone say midnight hour? Now, if you know anything about midnight, midnight strikes a new day. And this is a whole other message in itself. But they're singing psalms and songs and worshiping the Lord in the midnight hour in this prison. And all of a sudden, an earthquake hits. 
all of a sudden an earthquake hits. And it says that the earthquake loosened all the shackles and the chains that were on their arms and it broke open every single door. Then it goes on to say that the jailer, when he woke up, that the jailer saw the doors were open and he gets his sword and he picks it up to get ready to kill himself. Because back in the day, if a prisoner escaped, they knew it was immediate, immediate execution. No questions asked. They, were just, they, they, they knew that they were going to be executed. They were going to be killed. But Paul yells. In fact, Scripture uses the word shout. Paul shouts out, hey, 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 don't do that. We're all in here. We, we ain't gone nowhere. And to his amazement, the jailer's amazement, the guys are still in the jail. And it says that he goes and gets them out of the jail and with fear and trembling, he falls at their feet. And he asks, what must I do to be saved? So here's the good news. Not only does the jailer get saved, he gets saved and his family gets saved and they all get baptized. Now, I want to give you an example, another confession with you today. And y'all are, going to, y'all are probably going to be emailing Pastor David after this. And it's like, Pastor, I, don't even, I don't even know why you even got Pastor Gray on your staff. I don't, I, don't even, I don't even understand. He ain't no further along spiritually than that. But, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. All right. Uh, I've got somewhat thick skin. Um, so here is me in the middle of a storm. All right. Here's my typical response in the middle of a storm. My head is down, my hands are up, and I'm like this, and usually I'm crying like literal tears, and I'm begging God, God, <laughs> do whatever you can to get me out of this mess. I don't know why you keep having me here. I just want a way out. Now, if I'm in Paul's shoes, and, I'm, you know, and here I am. Now, Paul, of course, he was already praising and worshiping. He's way further along in that way. But now the prison doors get open. Oh, Lord, earthquake hits. I look over. My chains are off. The doors are open. And what am I doing? Woo! God parted the Red Sea. Man, I found a way out. Look what God's done for me. Come, somebody say amen. Amen. No, not Paul. For some crazy reason, Paul stayed. And here's what the Lord spoke to me concerning that. He said, sometimes... I can do my greater work, my greatest work, and an even deeper work in you and through you. Instead of you running and looking for comfort, if you would stay in the moment and let me finish what I need to finish. And because of that, hear me, because of that, a harvest came forth. You hearing me? A harvest came forth because he stayed in the moment and did not run for comfort and safety. Now, we got to move quickly. Third soil, thorns. Jesus says about thorns, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew and, and up and choked them. Now, um, although the farmer, w- they would plow up these rows, right? They could not guarantee that they would extract every single weed is basically what they're talking about here by the root. They just could not guarantee. Now, um, how many of you in here uh, are either a farmer or you've had gardens here in Florida before? Raise your hand. Oh, goodness gracious, man. 
All right, so, uh, so y'all know when we start talking about weeds in Florida and you've got a garden, I, I can't tell you, my mom always had me on weed duty in the garden. She's here today, and, 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 and so I couldn't stand gardening because of the weeds. I hate the weeds, and here's what happens with weeds. If you don't tend to the weeds, they will take over. They will take over. So Jesus explains in verse 22 about this. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So let us just make, let's get this out on the table. Let's be clear about this. There is a big difference in being knocked out and being choked out. Now, how many UFC fighter lovers do we have in here? You love watching UFC? Okay, a few of you. All right, Lord bless you. Um, I'm not. I'm, I don't really care for UFC. But one of the things that I do know about UFC uh, that a knockout is different than a chokeout. Like in, in, in UFC fighting, they're either punching or kicking. They're knocking on out. And, and so the KO means knockout, if you didn't already know that, ladies. So it literally means knockout. And so when they are knocked out, they are knocked unconscious immediately. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with this? So let me just explain to you about being choked out. So I was an old school, like, wrestling fan. Back when Dusty Rhodes and Jack Briscoe, anybody remember them? Those dudes? Okay, Dusty Rhodes and Jack Briscoe, right? Well, Jack Briscoe used to have this hole that they called the sleeper. The sleeper hole. Y'all remember that? And old Jack Briscoe, he would go in and he would, uh, come here, Britt, let me just, let me give them a good example. I've been, I've been, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And now I can legally do it. So what Jack Briscoe would do is he would take his arm around him and they would be on, on the mat and he would pull up hard and so he began to choke him out. Literally, he was cutting the oxygen off. And slowly but surely, that person that he was choking out, that he was literally cutting the oxygen off, would go, on, would go uh, uh, unconscious. Wow. That's what Jesus is trying to do to describe to us here because what happens in the weed situation when we're not careful with the weeds in our lives is that literally they choke the life out. Do you know that there are, you can do that to a certain degree that people can literally be choked to death. You've heard that, it's not just a saying, it can happen that the oxygen is cut off for such a long period of time that there is no more life. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. That plant is now taken over by the weeds. They are consuming all the oxygen so that the plant can't get it. They can't get what they need. And so I want to be clear here about one more thing before I move on here. Um, even though this is similar to what happens in the soil with the oxygen being cut off, um, having money is not a bad thing, all right? Because I think sometimes in the Christian world, we're like, oh, well, Jesus talks a lot about money. He does. I get that. Um, but we think money is bad. Money is not bad. We just have to make sure that our money doesn't own us, right? We have to make sure that our money doesn't own us. 
and that what we have is his. So I love what 1 John 2, 15 through 17, because I think he best describes this for us. Uh, and John and tells us, it says, do not, listen, what it, this is so clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, you remember Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, famous Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 6, that seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Let me, let me paraphrase this. All these things doesn't mean necessarily all the boats, cars, houses, money, sex, all that kind of stuff. No, that's not what he's talking about here. What Jesus is declaring is that all these things added unto you will be all that you need to live an abundant life and bring me glory into this earth so that they will see me, the Son of God, as who I really am and that I am their only hope and I am the only one that can set them free from their sin. Can someone say amen? That, that, that is the gospel in a nutshell. We seek him first. All these things will be added unto us. Because our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. It, it, I, that's not me. That's not, I'm not telling you that. I'm, that's the word of God. Over and over, God declares throughout his word that there are none righteous, no, not one. That Jesus Christ, his son, is the only one that's ever been to this earth that's righteous. So the final soul is good soil, soul number four. And Jesus says in verse eight, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is an important statement. You need to know that this good soil that Jesus is talking about here, it is not good because of what the soil can do in of itself. Think about it for a second. What can the soil do for itself to make it good? You say, well, you know, Pastor, um, well, does that mean I don't have a, a role in this? Yeah, you have a role. You have a role. Your, your role is to surrender. Your role is to surrender. Your role and my role is to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because he is the faithful farmer. Um, and, and now listen, that farmer that he's talking about here, he's the one that's done all the work. Think about it. He's done the plowing. He's done the, the throwing of the seed. He's done, he's done all of it. It's all come through the farmer. Jesus gives the meaning in, in verse 23, over in verse 23. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Ezekiel 26, I love what he says there because he's, he's, he's actually giving a word to the children of Israel. And he's talking about how their heart has been hardened, but how God can make their heart soft and pliable and make it where it can receive him and his word again. 
in Ezekiel 36, 26. So there are three characteristics here that are, that, are, that are shared in this verse in 23. Jesus said that, the, first of all, that the good soil it heard. Did you know, if you go back and read the passage, all four soils heard the Word of God. All four heard it. Every one of them. Number two, he understands it. Three of the four received it. Now remember the first one didn't even receive it. It wasn't even a part of the prepared ground. Didn't even receive it. But three of the four received, but only one understood. And then the third attribute is only one bears fruit. And fruit represents harvest. And harvest represents souls. I know we started out today and I said we're, we're kind of tasked with this. God, show us, you know, what soil what soul is the condition of our heart currently today, right? And I think that's a good question. I, I, I'm not trying to get away from that question, all right? But um, here's, here's what I want to offer to you today as probably a priority or a primary question even before that is um, who owns the soil? Who owns the field of your heart? Because there are those in us that are here today that would say that I, I still I still own the soil. I still own the field. There'll be, actually be others in here today that would say, you know what? I've given God a part of the field, but I've never given him all of it. I, I've just I've never been able to get to a place where I just give him all the field. And once again, it, it could be for multiple reasons. And then there are those of us here today that can very boldly and confidently say, I've given all my field, all the soil of my heart to him. I'm just going to ask you to meditate on the word of the Lord this morning as Amy leads us in worship and allow God to reveal to you what he is wanting to reveal to you in this time. <laughs> 